0: Hi, and welcome to the Teach for the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Linda Kredemis, and I'm here to give you the ideas and inspiration you need to overcome your teaching challenges and make a lasting impact in your students' hearts and lives. This season, we're discussing 10 traits of impactful Christian teachers, characteristics we need to focus on if we want to go beyond just teaching academics and make a lasting impact in our students' lives. We're discussing each trait one by one to see what the Bible has to say about it, and how it looks day-to-day in the classroom. Last week, we talked about how important it is to have a strong relationship with Christ and to be able to hear his voice. This week, we're talking about how Christian teachers, we need to seek wisdom and truth. And we do that by thinking biblically. You know, no matter where you teach, we need you need to always remember that what God tells us in his word is the truth. Regardless of whether it's popular regardless of whether anyone else agrees with it. There is absolute truth. Values are not different than facts. This is the world's wisdom, but it's wrong. Consider a few of these verses. 1 Corinthians three eighteen through 20 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. These verses never made much sense to me until recently, when I realized exactly what they were saying. What they're saying is that what the world touts as wisdom is actually foolishness. And I think this is no more apparent than in our present age. The the philosophies that are being shoved down our throats and touted as such wonderful wisdom are often diametrically opposed to what God presents in the Bible. And if we want to be truly wise, if we want to follow what God has given us as truth and what is the truth, we're going to sometimes look like fools to those around us. And we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to look like a fool to really help a student? You know, if a student comes to us and asks us for advice, And it's about an issue where there's different points of view. Which point of view are we going to guide them with? Are we going to guide them with the predominant secular viewpoint of our day? Or with the biblical view that actually is the truth? Let's think about this in a little bit more detail. You know, no matter what situation comes out in your classroom, from girl drama to college advice to even a student who comes out as gay to you, If we want to lead our students in the right direction, we have to start with a biblical view of the situation. Let's look at a few keys. The first thing that we have to do is we have to realize that what God has designed is best for everyone. If we miss this truth, we miss the whole point, and I'm worried that too many Christians are doing just that. Let's stop and think for a minute about God. God knows everything. He is perfectly good. He designed the world. He designed us. If anyone knows the best way to live life, the best way to function as a society, don't you think it's God? Why on earth do we think that we're somehow smarter than him, that we've somehow evolved past his moral law? You know, God didn't give us his commands just for the fun of it, so he could make us do things. He gave them to us because they are the best way to live. Because they are the foundation of a stable and healthy society. Think about it. God loves us desperately. He wants what's best for us. He knows that his commands are the path of life and blessing, so he asks us to follow them. He knows that when we reject or deviate from his commands, we set ourselves on a dangerous path that leads to sorrow and destruction. So he warns us strongly against those dangers. look, think about some of these, listen to some of these verses from Psalms 119. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Those scriptures and many others show us how incredible God's word is. Now, we cannot and we should not expect everyone to believe what we believe or act the way we act. Those that are not Christians won't understand this truth that we have. But nonetheless, we need to understand in our hearts that the way that God asks us to live is honestly what is best for everyone. It's what's best for our students. It's what's best for their families. It's what's best for our society. And if we believe that, then when we have opportunities, we will champion the biblical way because it's the best way. And we'll champion the truth because it's just that, the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. You teach in a public school. I am not telling you that you should start telling people, the Bible says blah, 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 blah. But you can still share the truth. For example, the Bible talks all about being content with what God has given us. You can't stand up, you can't talk to a student and say, you know, the Bible says that God's been good to you and you need to be content if you teach in a public school. But you can talk to students about the virtue of contentment, about how contentment makes us happier, about how contentment leads to a more fulfilling life, because that truth is universally true. You know, When it comes to controversial issues, issues where our culture and the Bible stand vastly apart, we must remember that God loves us, that He knows what He's talking about, that His ways truly are best for everyone, whether they know Him personally or not. And as teachers, we can and we should be concerned about the culture that we are shaping for the next generation. Are we just going along with what's expected? encouraging young people towards all kind of behavior that's ultimately bad for them, bad for their families, and bad for our society? Or will we do what we can to encourage young people towards the paths that are truly best for them? So all that falls under that first concept, that concept of realizing that what God has designed is best for everyone. The second key is that we need to reject A viewpoint of a sacred-secular split. Over the past years, I've received numerous comments and emails from Christian teachers arguing or asking about the role of faith in the public school system. And it's been really um, interesting and sometimes discouraging to see the responses. Um, Some teachers are arguing that faith has no place in the classroom. While there's others, however, that seek advice for how to incorporate their beliefs into their day-to-day work. Recently, I've come to realize, I was really confused by these comments for a long time, to be honest. But recently, while reading a book called Total Truth, I've come to realize that there's a big misconception underlying much of this confusion. And it's this concept of a, sacred, a sacred-secular split. I- imagine this. Imagine your life divided into two separate sections. On one side is your sacred faith, what you believe about God and the Bible and your personal relationship with him. It's a very important part of your life, but it's your private life. On the other side is your public life, and your public life is separate. You imagine that it's secular. It follows the prevailing thoughts of the day. It has nothing to do with your private life. Now, if there are, I don't know whether or not you think this way, but if you do, I have to tell you, this is not the right way of thinking. We cannot divide our lives and our work into two parts. I know there's those of you out there that feel like this. You feel like there's one part of your life is your faith. It's really genuine. You love God. You read your Bible. Maybe you even teach a Sunday school class or even lead a Bible club and witness when you can. But your faith is for your private life, for your soul. It doesn't have anything to do with secular issues. So you go to church and worship on Sunday, but when you speak with a student on Monday you don't know what your faith has to do with it. Maybe you're still listening to this just because you're curious or maybe because you're mad and, and you really don't understand how I can possibly be saying any of this. Or maybe if you do think the Bible has something to offer, you just don't see that it has. it's your place to bring it into the secular sphere. But the reality is that a biblical view is exactly what the secular sphere needs. Before I go into that, I just have to talk for just a second about this concept that secular means neutral. Often when people view it this way, when they say I have my private beliefs, they're for my private life, and then when I go to school, um, that is for my secular, you know, that I just secular views. That's because you think that secular means neutral, but it's not. Secular is not the same as neutral. Secular beliefs and secular philosophies are based in their own way of thinking and are often diametrically opposed to what you believe in your private life as a Christian. I could talk forever about this, and um, I don't have time here, um, but I will recommend the book Total Truth by Nancy Piercy, and I'll leave a link in the notes at teachforthehut.com slash season three. I would strongly recommend that you check this out. If you want to be honest with yourself, you owe it to yourself to really figure this out. But just a few thoughts here. Number one, just one thought about secularism, and then I'm going to go on to talk about this concept. One of the most prevailing thoughts in the secular world right now is that there's a difference between faith and values. I'm sorry, there's a difference between facts and values. That values cannot be facts. That moral judgments are subjective and just depend on the person and what they believe. That view right there is a philosophy. That is not a universal fact, that is a way of thinking, that is a philosophy a secular philosophy. And so just stop and think about that for a second. That philosophy is diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there is absolute truth, God designed it, and this is it. Whether you agree with it or not, it's true. So if you're struggling with this, maybe I would really recommend that book. It's a very, it's very intellectually honest book so if you consider yourself an intellectual I think you'll really enjoy it and get a lot out of it and if you're not an intellectual um, there's just so much practicality to it too it's really very well written I'm only about 100 pages into it and I'm loving it as I go through it I've read it some in the past as well but back to talking about um, rejecting this sacred secular split you know do you remember how we talked about God's truths are good to everyone for everyone right This means that there cannot be a sacred-secular split. We might create one in our minds, but it doesn't actually exist. When we think this way, we're thinking incorrectly. See, God has created truths that are universal, that will help those who adhere to them, regardless of whether they're saved or not. His truths plow through all barriers, and they belong in the public sphere just as much in the private sphere. And if you're thinking, but I'm not allowed to bring up God or the Bible— Once again, you're missing the best part, and that's that these truths are universal. This means they can be defended apart from the Bible. You can argue his truths from a logical or even a scientific standpoint without mentioning God's once. They are the truth, so they stand on their own. I just want to ask you to think, if you've started to compartmentalize your faith this way, do you value your faith on a personal level, but bristle at the thought of applying biblical truth to, quote, secular issues? Do you embrace a separation of church and state viewpoint, thinking that your views can and should be set aside when you step into the classroom? If so, it's time to seriously think about this. And I pray that you will ultimately reject this sacred-secular split and embrace the joyous reality that God's truths are meant for our whole lives and for our whole society. As I said, if you're really not sure what to think about this, I highly recommend Nancy Piercy's book, Total Truth. And I've also written an article about the issue of separation of church and state. It's entitled, Life, Liberty, and Censorship, What the First Amendment Really Says About Religion and Government. And I'll leave both of those in the show notes at teachfortheheart.com slash season three. Before we move on to our last point, uh, let me just leave you with a scripture underneath this thought. Matthew 513 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's not put our lamps or our candlesticks under a bushel. So number one, we said that we need to realize that what God has designed is best for everyone. Number two, reject the viewpoint of a sacred-secular split. And finally, number three, view every issue through the biblical framework of creation, fall, and redemption. We've already laid the groundwork for bringing biblical truth into everything you do, including your public life in the classroom. But in order to actually do that, we need to understand how God views each subject or issue that comes up. The Bible is the supreme source of truth. And in many cases, it's crystal clear. And when that happens, it makes our job really easy. But other times, the Bible doesn't speak directly to an issue. And we have to apply biblical truth or a biblical view of our world to understand the topic. In in these cases, it's extremely helpful to view the issue through the lens of the three key aspects of biblical thinking, creation, the fall, and redemption. I want to go through this just as an example. Let's take this framework of creation, the fall, and redemption and examine a modern day question. What is a family or what should a family be? Let's examine it through this lens of creation, the fall, and redemption and what the Bible says about it. Alright, so if we're talking about um, the family, the first thing we always need to do, no matter what issue we're looking at, is start with creation. We must always start with the fact that God created us and designed us, and as such, he knows best and his design is best. So let's nail down this particular question about the family. We know from scripture that God created a husband and a wife, and he put them together. He designed marriage. He intended it to last a lifetime. He intended that children be born only to married parents and that families be strong and devoted. We could give scriptures for one of these, but for sake of time, we'll just list that. This was his original pattern, and it was a good and a great pattern. That's creation. Number two, we need to look at the fall. In any issue, we must consider how the fall, or sin and its curse, has affected God's original plan. So in the case of the family, the fall has brought many problems and deviations to the family. Sins of the heart, such as pride and selfishness, cause problems within marriage, which often lead to divorce. Satan has brought confusion to the minds of many and has led them to seek affection and marriage in someone of the same gender, something that was not part of God's original plan. Children are often born outside of marriage because couples don't wish to follow God's pattern. Often parents are selfish and don't put enough energy into loving and raising their children. All of these deviations cause serious heartache for all who are involved. And the children suffer most because of it. Notice that it's important to remember that deviations from God's plan always lead to pain and heartache. It might not at first, but it will in the end. So that was creation and then the fall. Finally, we need to look at redemption and the concept that through Jesus... God has made a way to heal what is broken and restore us to his original design. So in regards to the family, Christ has the power to heal all brokenness, to restore marriages, to build strong families, to break the power of same-sex attraction, to empower parents to raise wise children. This is the ultimate hope for our society and for individuals in particular. For those who are not saved, still... The closer they can follow God's plan, the better things will go, and ultimately the happier and more productive their family will be. And then on a larger scale, the more families that follow God's model, the more stable and happy our society at large will be. We could continue to talk about this example for a long time, but our time is running short. I just wanted to give you a short example so you could see how this three-part framework works. And I hope that the next time a question or issue comes up, you'll try out this three-part framework of creation, the fall, and redemption and see if it helps you think through the topic from a biblical perspective. As I said, I could say so much more on this topic, but our time is up. I hope this gets you thinking in the right direction. And if you'd like to find out more, I really recommend the book Total Truth by Nancy Piercy As I said, I'll leave a link at teachfortheheart.com slash season three. Let's pause to pray. Father, thank you so much that your word is truth. Thank you that you love us, that you've designed this world, and that you've given us the blueprint in your word. I pray that you will help us to understand that your word and your truths are for every aspect of our life, that there is no such thing as a part of our life where your truths don't belong, and that they absolutely have the power to make a huge impact for good in the public sphere. I pray that you'll empower these teachers, give them your wisdom, help them to see your truths, and help them to... um, Use the opportunities they have to make a uh, difference for good in the lives of their students, in their families, and in their schools. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next week, we're going to look at another important trait of impactful Christian teachers. And that is, impactful Christian teachers trust God, even in tough situations. If you'd like more help thinking about uh, you know, thinking with a biblical worldview, I hope that you'll join us at teachfortheheart.com. Simply go to teachfortheheart.com and sign up for updates. And you'll get weekly updates um, in your inbox that will encourage you and help you to think biblically. This podcast is great, but we um, take breaks. We will do a, a couple seasons a year and then we're off for a while. But those weekly emails go out pretty much every week. So you can get those for free at teachfortheheart.com. Once again, all the notes and links are at teachfortheheart.com slash season three. I look forward to seeing you next week. In the meantime, keep growing, keep striving. You really are making a difference.